When I said, you know, why aren't we doing anything in marketing? His answer was, because if you can't afford a Super Bowl ad, there's no point in marketing. And I thought that was crazy oh, talk, like absolutely nuts. On the sales side, if I spend time with a big customer, let's, you know, say there's a whale, um, then I have, you know, that time is, is whatever opportunity that customer represents, which can be big, but but it's it's limited to that. On marketing, I think my sort of the opportunity cost, my time investment is, is exponential. You need to think of your website as a magnet and your job is to make that magnet as strong as possible. And, you know, you're gonna work really hard for that and that's gonna generate all your leads. You're listening to Campaign Brief, presented by Wondertree Media. I'm CJ Thomas, and I'm sitting down with marketing industry leaders to hear their stories, strategies, and lessons learned that you can use to stand out and grow your brand. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode, and today we are sitting down with Luke Freiler. Luke is the CEO of a company called CenterCode. They offer a full suite of customer validation solutions. So what does that mean? Well, if you think about products that you use and love on a daily basis, everywhere from your smartphone to even software products, those products, before they actually go to market, must undergo a process of testing and getting validation and feedback from real customers. So CenterCode offers a full range of solutions from software to service to support their clients through this entire process and even beyond the actual launch of the product. Now I'm excited for this episode in particular because while Luke serves as CEO today, he actually started off more in the product and technical side as a co-founder and as he made his way and found himself in the CEO role, he learned the importance of great marketing and building a strong marketing team. So he actually shares with us a really cool story about how Luke initially discovered inbound marketing and that's really turned out to be their greatest source of results from a marketing standpoint now for CenterCode. He also talks about his decision early on to build more of an in-house agency model and what his current makeup of his marketing team is. So we talk about that and so much more. Please enjoy this episode with Luke Freiler. I think it's cool because we we're just talking right now about how you started more so in the in the music side and, and kind of on the software and technology and, and really hands-on as a, as a technician, right? Um, and now kind of transitioning over the years into center code, that's, that's quite the transition. So we'll definitely get into that, but I think maybe starting off, I'd like to just kind of set the context. Could we just get the quick kind of elevator pitch on what center code is? Sure. So center code provides customer validation solutions, which means we work with companies, most typically tech companies, but basically anyone going through a digital transformation and we help them engage with their customers during the development of a product to produce a better product. So ultimately, it's somewhat focused on the quality of the product, somewhat focused on the user experience. The most common term people would probably recognize is something called a beta test. But for us, it's a bit more expensive than that. It's focused on an alpha test, which is prior to beta, and then also a delta test, which is continuous after a beta. So we basically provide a platform that companies use to facilitate that. They can build a community of their customers, recruit from their target market, collect feedback, collaborate with them, engage and then build insights from that. So take that data into their existing systems like Jira or Tableau, or do their reporting and work directly in our system. So basically enables them to, to engage with their customers and, and again, build a better product. 
Um, so we provide software for that, which is a sort of an online platform that a lot of big companies use. We also provide managed services for companies that don't have the resources to do that themselves. So those are companies that uh, have this need. So typically it'd be like a product marketing team mm -hmm. would have this need. They would come to us and they would hire us to go recruit from their market, engage them, deliver product, collect feedback, and, and basically organize that around what their goals are. So from there, our, our goal is to bring out whatever needs to be fixed in the product, um, what could be improved about the product and, and what should be promoted about the product. What are the things that, that people really delighted in? I love that. And that's something I think we'll definitely circle back to as well, because I'm sure there are a lot of similarities in terms of just how, I mean, obviously the way you approach product development and that kind of validation and getting that feedback loop early on definitely, you know, I feel plays a role even in marketing. Definitely. So, so I think that'd be cool to, to touch on, but I think you've always had a focus on sales and marketing, you know, from that CEO perspective. Yes, definitely. How did marketing take such a, a, a forefront on your mind? I, I think my first interest in marketing came from the idea that we were bootstrapped and we didn't have a lot of budget, but um, I was a web engineer. So as being part of a web engineer, one of the first things that, that I've sort of glossed over at this point, but it really did lead to my interest in this space, is I, at a very young age, you know, early 20s, late teens, became obsessed with a new field at the time, which was sort of usability in the web, um, which later sort of evolved to more user experience and then on to customer experience. But I, I, the idea of technology being friendly and, and useful um, was pretty foreign when I started in tech, and I kind of became obsessed with that. So, so sort of apply that, and as part of that, I started to get a lot more skill in design and, and graphic mm -hmm. design specifically. So as I was building out my wheelhouse of, of engineering, I was moving more and more to the front end, which meant a lot more graphic design. And as, as part of all of that, I sort of got nominated when we started the company to create our marketing website. Um, I never you know, deliberately went into marketing. It was just, I had to be the guy when there was four of us that, that made it. Someone and has to do it, right? Somebody <laughs> has to do it. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I, I started doing, you know, all my research and, and everything. And, and I really became obsessed with, with that. Um, so, so that was kind of my first foray into it. And we, we had someone who, who had worked sort of for the company for a very long time, who had a big sales background, He'd, someone that spent, you know, dozens of years, at uh, IBM uh, prior to to working at Centercode, and actually he I had worked with him at Samsung as well, so kind of we all met. But um, he was a sales guy, enterprise sales guy, and he had virtually no interest in marketing. He once said something to me that to this day I find it hard to believe he was serious, but I'm pretty sure he was. And that he, when I was asking why we weren't focusing more on marketing, because again I was CTO at the time, yeah. not really my place. Um, he was technically I think president and sales and marketing were his under him. Um, when I said, you know, why aren't we doing anything in marketing? His answer was, because if you can't afford a Super Bowl ad, there's no point in marketing. And I thought that was crazy oh, talk, like absolutely nuts. Um, so at the time, I I was trying to do everything I could to kind of get grassroots marketing ideas out there. And at a certain point, um, there was a, a huge sea change. It completely changed my perspective on on marketing. It really changed the company and, and a lot of our success to date, I can really trace back to this thing. So basically what happened was I, once I became CEO, um, we were an entirely sales forced or sales focused company. We had 
um, at the time, a couple few salespeople who basically cold called and made mm-hmm. a lot of money for every deal they closed. And that was the, the extent of, of getting the word out for center code, which as a bootstrapped company is, is a big problem. So there wasn't much awareness play or anything like that. It zero was just at the time. No, zero sales. at the time. I okay. mean, a little bit of work I was putting into like SEO and Google, but other than that, nothing like no investments of any kind and no, no real resource. Um, so Basically, um, at that point in time, I was interested in anything and everything I could do to um, grow the company. And yeah. and one night, and I'm sure many people have empathy for this exact situation, but but one night I was in my office. It was like seven o'clock at night, and I was googling online as you do, and I was looking for specifically to learn more about Twitter, but in a B two B context. Twitter was a huge thing at this point already. It had grown so rapidly. But it was very. It had a reputation of being very consumer focused at that point. Like for sure, very much consumer focused. And at the same time, I've never been a big social media guy. In part because the vast majority of what we do is under NDA. So virtually everything exciting that I get to experience, I'm not allowed to talk about. So for me, social media is this weird tease. So I've never. I, I wasn't big into Twitter at the time. I had an account and whatnot, but I didn't really use it much. And at the same time, so I went to my computer and I, I searched for, you know, Twitter in the B2B environment, something along those lines. And I got back an ebook, as you do. And I, you know, filled out the little form of my contact information. I downloaded it. And for whatever reason, and I always tell this part of the story, I have no idea why, but for whatever reason, I decided to print it, which I never do. I hate printers. You printed the ebook. I printed the ebook okay. because it's seven <laughs> o'clock at night and my eyes are tired. And I'm decided that I wanted to, to lay on the couch in my office and, and read this thing. And while it was printing, my phone rings, and for some reason, this is, again, weird little anomalies of the story. For some reason, I answered it, which I never do. Um, but I answered it, and this guy picks up the phone, or this guy answers the phone, and I said, hey, um, you know, how can I help you? And he said, well, uh, I'm, I noticed that you just downloaded this ebook from my company, and you had a question about Twitter, and I was thinking maybe I could save you some time. And instead of you reading the whole thing, I could maybe take a quick look at your website and answer your questions for you. I was like, well, that sounds great, I guess. And he said, well, and if you like what I have to say, maybe you'll give me a few minutes of opportunity to, to talk about what we do and how we'd possibly help. And again, I don't know why, but for some reason, I was feeling pretty charitable with my time that night. And I, I said, okay. And it, it he basically went through a few things on my website. And the reality was, given my background, I was a lot more technical than I think he's used to talking to. So I kind of got it all already. But all he did was really validate that, that he knew what he was talking about, which was good. And then and he, he was just kind of walking through. The, he was walking to sort of trying to understand what we did so that he could put it into the context of how social media might be able to help. Basically, okay, he was just it. trying to be useful yeah. relative to the question I asked. So I said, OK, well, what um, you know, what do you do? And, and he said, well, here's what we do. This whole process you just went through, that was based on our process and that was based on our platform. I said, OK, what does that mean? He said, well, here's what actually happened. You had a question. You had a business question, valuable question, and you went to the internet to ask it, like everybody does. That's what we all do now. And we worked very hard to be the answer to that question. Mm-hmm. So um, what you found was some you know, Google rank that we worked very hard for, and then you downloaded our free ebook. But keep in mind that free is in, in air quotes. What you actually did was trade your contact information as a currency for that ebook. And then I took it opportunity with from the the timeliness of that to give you a call because you were thinking about this. It was top of mind. And from there, um, I thought I'd have the opportunity to to maybe engage with you. And he said, what we do is provide the platform that makes all that happen. So I got a sales lead when you completed that form to give you a call because we are current, you know, this this problem is currently top of mind to you. 
And it was a, a super interesting pitch. And, and by the way, I have to give them this shout out. That was HubSpot at the time. They were you know somewhat new. And I couldn't argue that it didn't work <laughs> because it. I was there. It, it was a beautiful, brilliant plan. It got you on the phone. Um, it got me on the yeah, phone. I yeah. Mean, right there. That's. Yeah. yeah. And. And he said, look, you know, th this is what you need to do. You need to, you know, stop thinking, uh, not that we really had been, but, but don't think about sort of secret sauce. Really think of yourselves as an authority. And there's other people out there that want to know um, the information that you have. So start publishing it. Right. And, and, you know, this was sort of content marketing, inbound marketing, all that stuff. Definitely. And, and it just blew my mind. Like in hindsight, this is all basic knowledge. But, but for me, and just kind of going through that experience, it absolutely blew my mind. Um, at the same time, another VC, um, someone out of the UK, had, had given me some advice, completely unrelated, but it was a few weeks prior to that, so it was still top of mind. Um, he said a couple things. One of them, which I'll never forget, I've repeated about 50 times this year, is you guys are the coolest company no one's ever heard of. Um, that was a decade ago, but, but that was interesting. Um, the other one was, you need to go out and you need to hire a kid with a marketing degree, stayed out of school, who's never had a budget and doesn't know they're supposed to get one. And you let them go online, go, let them go crazy online. Mm -hmm. And so he said, you know, um, just go find out someone to, to develop content, to just generate leads. And, and one of the things the HubSpot person had said that I still think about to this day is you need to think of your website as a magnet and your job is to make that magnet as strong as possible. And, you know, you're going to work really hard for that and that's going to generate all your leads. So we did that. Um, I went out and, was, again, lo lots of bumps to this story, but... I went out and I, I hired a, a kid named Benny, who was actually a pretty awesome guy, but um, had virtually no experience. But at 20 or 21, he had 25,000 followers on Twitter and he was just crazy. And this was after space. that introduction. Right after, to yeah. So, I, so I, I put these two pieces together and I decided, okay, I'm going to go hire this kid who doesn't know he's supposed to get a budget yeah. and we're going to produce content and, and we're going to put this all together and we're going to hack all the systems we need because we can't afford HubSpot at that point. And, and we're going to make it happen. So hired a kid um, straight out of school. Their, their story did not work out. Turned out that he was very much quality over, I'm sorry, quantity over quality at that point. And, and he, he didn't really do a great job. But then I ended up finding another one shortly after, very similar profile, except um, he was kind of a weird one in that he had a law degree, but had just gotten that. But in his last year of law school, realized he did not want to be a lawyer and at the same time didn't want to throw away the prior uh, money spent. So he For finished sure. it, but then immediately went to marketing. Um, so so he actually came on as sort of my first real content generator. And, and he... And I worked together for, for a while to build some incredible content. And that became the foundation of our entire marketing program. And so aside from the sales team that you already had developed, this yep. was essentially your first hire on the marketing side. Absolutely. For, okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and funny side story about him that I'm sure he'll listen to this. So I'm going to have to harass him. Um, when I first met him, I told him, uh, the reason I didn't hire him, I actually met both these guys at the same time, but the reason I didn't hire him is because I told him he was just too bright for this job. Mm -hmm. He was a really smart guy, um, you know, very well-spoken, just, just really had his shit together. And I told him, Hey man, if you get this job, you're only going to last six months and then you're going to go find something else because this is, we're just starting out here. We don't have, you know, budget, yada, yada. Um, he lasted six months, and and then he ended up uh, going up to San Francisco for for different reasons. Actually, in, in long story short, he and his wife um, had a deal that whoever got a job first, um, they'd move there. And she happened to get the job weeks before he 
got the job with us. So as a result, he was working remote, and eventually he found a job up in the cool area in, in the Bay um, and, and didn't last. That said, the reason I bring it up is because we actually hired him back uh, a few months ago. So it's been a long time, but he wow. came back. But in that time, he moved from marketing to a CTO position, and he now has this sort of hybrid of, of marketing and technology experience, and we hired him as a director of MarTech. And basically, he's a full-stack, very accomplished engineer on my marketing team. And he's taking things a lot further. We have a reasonably large marketing team. And his job is to basically own systems and, and sort of, you know, I wouldn't call it growth hacking per se, but, but you know, leverage APIs and integrations to get yeah. as much, to squeeze as much possible out of every marketing system that we use. Um, so, and I think one of the coolest things we have as a company of our size is a, a full stack engineer in addition to multiple designers and writers and everything else that we have on the marketing team. Yeah. And I, and I know that you mentioned before that you pretty much are following the in-house agency model we are, with, absolutely. with center code. Yeah. So kind of starting with this initial, you know, first hire, you're sold on content marketing, kind of starting to build that out. How did you, I mean, what was the decision to go for the in-house agency model versus just kind of having those few key players and doing outsourcing? Why, yeah. why in-house agency? Um, we've tried virtually everything at this point, and I've come to the conclusion that in certain contexts, we just don't play well with others. Um, we're not a huge company, but we're a very demanding company, mm -hmm. and there's certain things that, that we care a lot about. And we basically had a couple negative experiences working with outside agencies, and we just... Every time, we, we felt like we were in an awkward spot, and I think a lot of companies as they grow, go through this phase, we were in an awkward spot where every time we'd try to deal with a, a good-sized agency or, or even a moderately-sized agency, um, we're still, you know, we're not Sony, so we're not going to get their best and brightest, we're going to get their new and brightest, and the problem with new and brightest is it's a crapshoot. You might get someone great, you might not, and we had a couple periods where we just didn't think we got great resources and we just had some negative experiences. Um, that's half. The other half, which I think is more meaningful, regardless of the, how good an experience we had with outside agencies, is that we're in sort of a, a nascent industry. Um, we're, we're in a nascent category that hasn't been really developed and, and hasn't really um, found its wings yet. So there's not a lot of knowledge out there. Like if you if you look at the content online about what we do, um, despite it being something that virtually every company does, we've literally written the vast majority of the content that exists on the subject, which means there's not a lot of outside wisdom that we can bas basically go buy. So well, that's that's a unique opportunity for you too. Though, right? I mean, that's 100%. I mean, you look at almost any other industry, and when you talk about content marketing yeah. today, it's like that's you're gonna. I mean, you come up with any piece of content, and there's probably 30 others that yes. you're competing with. Uh, so. Absolutely. So in our space, it's very unique in that we don't have that. Um, so we wanted to take as much ownership of that knowledge and we wanted people that were engrossed in it. You know, the thing about yeah. our marketing team is they go to our all hands, they hear every product pitch, they're, you know, sitting right next to the services team that delivers. Um, so by being engrossed in, in our culture, in our message, in our category, we think they can perform a lot better than sure. an outside firm. So um, what does your marketing team look like? today like how does that kind of break down sure so there's there we think of it as kind of having two halves um one half is the agency so on that side we have writers we have researcher uh, we have multiple graphic designers we have um martech we have uh, coordinators sdr like everybody kind of sits on that side um and they're responsible for creation of content so mm -hmm. everything from the content itself to the emails that follow up, right? And within the company, we have this concept called Initiative 42, which is something our marketing director, John, um, dubbed. 
and 42. So our office, we're huge Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy fans, and we have it all themed after that. <laughs> so he kind of stole that. Um, our all-hands area has a huge 42 on the wall. So he stole it for this. And and basically what it means is is from month to month, we develop a, a big piece of content, something very meaningful, an ebook, a, a white paper, something big. And then Initiative 42 is the process of developing all of the sort of adjacent content that that comes from it. So the social posts that come from it, the um, the email nurturing that, that follows it, the newsletter and all that kind of stuff. So this team is basically responsible for, for creating and, and, and delivering on that um, or, or producing it, I guess. Yeah. Um, we then have what we consider to be sort of our senior team, which are individuals who own the different sort of marketing channels. So we have Kellyanne who runs events. We have Aaron who runs inbound. Um, our MarTech person is a little bit of a hybrid spot because he's a very high-level resource. So in one hand, he's a contributing member of the agency, but really he sort of owns MarTech on the website on its own. Um, we then have Dima, who I believe you've interacted with, who handles sort of communications and demand gen. Um, and then another interesting aspect of our company is, is we at a certain point, for long story reasons, um, merged product and marketing into one team. Originally, they were two teams. Um, so we also have product managers on that team as well. Okay. Um, and part of that is because the person who runs pro- used to run product specifically, um, at a certain point, I decided it made a lot of sense for him to run marketing because of our sort of category growth goals. And I really wanted someone who understood our ambitions and our industry and so on um, on that side of the house. And he also just happens to be a guy who has kind of a military background and can really run things down. He can really get things done. So there was a time when we had these content plans and we'd put out a piece of content every four months. And and that was it because we had so many other projects and so much going on. Since John took over marketing a year ago, it's clockwork. We get a content piece out every month. We have, you know, 100 little adjunct processes and things around it that all happen. Uh, and he's done a phenomenal job. So he sits on the top as VP of marketing. His name's John. And then I think he's got four or five people directly under him who are kind of owners of their different, um, you know, pan- stacks in the pancakes uh, and then, or pancakes in the stack. And then um, we have, I don't know, eight or 10 that are on the sort of agency level who are responsible for producing. How has that affected how your marketing has been approached in terms of, you know, initially it's like, okay, here's this content marketing thing. Let's hit that. Obviously, it sounds to me like content marketing is still the main push. Have you kind of used other avenues now beyond that just to gain that awareness? Or, you know, how has that changed with building this in-house agency? I I would say that Inbound is by far our most successful channel. Um, It's funny, we've been talking internally lately about how... so, So we're in a growth mode right now, and we're constantly looking for outside advice and coaching and so on. And one of my big goals this year was to go find you know, really experienced coaches for, for everyone on my team. Um, you know, a lot of my team doesn't have 20, 30 years experience in their domain, but they have a very significant amount of experience in most cases within our company. So they've sort of grown up within. It's not true for everybody, but for many. So I've been trying to find a lot of outside coaches. And one of the funny things that, that we keep running into with marketing is we bring someone in who's got 30 years of experience, but seems awesome. And we spend half a day with them and we sort of run down what we're doing and whatnot. And then afterwards, you know, I'll go engage with them and say, okay, now what, what would an engagement look like? What do you think we need? And they'll come back with, well, I think you could use about an hour of my time a month. And we're sitting here going, no, 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 we, we are way more broken than that. Like we need <laughs> all your time. What are you talking about? And I, I think after a while we sort of come to the conclusion that what's really happening is, is they, they see our inbound program and, and how sort of well it's worked and, and how good our content is. 
And they sort of assume, okay, well, these guys have that figured out, which is a pretty challenging thing to figure out. So they must have all the other basics down. And the reality right. is, no, we really succeeded in inbound to, to you know, our goals. And still endless ceiling there, by the way. I don't feel like we're amazing or anything. We've just done pretty well. And it was such a focus of mine. But events and things like that are still somewhat new to us. And, and again, when you're in a nascent industry, there's not a dozen events that we can just go attend. We have to get very creative in, in how we approach that. So that said, um, events are something... We have done pretty pretty well. We still have a long way to grow, but but done pretty well in the last couple of years. Um, one of the things we started that I really enjoy is this this roadshow concept where we basically go from city to city and just host an event where we you know more or less feed people and then educate them on on customer validation. And the concept isn't to pitch center code. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's our colors, it's our logos, it's our deck. But really, it's an educational session. We want them to sort of understand how this works, and then if they want to engage with us, they can. If not, we're just planting seeds for you know a brighter future. So it's essentially content marketing in person. It is exactly <laughs> yeah. Again, we we build on what we know man and uh yeah it it is very much content marketing in person and and we even try to align aspects of it with what we're thinking about and doing in content marketing so we do that um we're looking at more speaking opportunities and whatnot but but really our events have mostly been this idea of okay there's not really an established industry so let's own the message let's let's go to a place invite people and then marketing and sales work together to get people to show up and, and so on uh, other than that, the new marketing channels we're focusing on is, is PR is sort of a new thing to us. So so Dima, who's, who runs that side, is, is going to be experimenting with that a lot in 2020. That's just now starting. Um, we're also starting to work more with analysts. So mm-hmm. we're working with Forrester as an example um, to, to really understand how this fits in in their perspective to the broader ecosystem and what we can do to leverage those relationships. So we'll be expanding that a lot in the next year. Um, social is still not a very big thing to us. Um, we haven't really figured out how to do much with it. I think, again, it's one thing that is true of virtually everyone in our audience is that they're very, very busy and they just don't have a lot of free time to sort of dwindle around online. So we have to get, uh, you know, pretty pointed in how we find them. Cause you're essentially speaking to product managers, product development. Yeah. So product managers, um, is sort of core, uh, I would say engineering quality specifically and sort of the, the IT side of the house is secondary to that. Um, user experience, UX people are, are pretty typical users of our stuff. And then some in sort of marketing and support. It, mm-hmm. it really just depends on the structure of the organization and, and how they kind of look at releasing products. Well, speaking of that, I, one of the things that I mentioned earlier that I wanted to kind of circle back on is, you know, obviously the core of what you do really is getting that customer feedback right in the beginning with product development. How, if, if at all, has that affected your approach to marketing? And I mean, what similarities, like, are you applying your own superpowers and magic sauce to when you're, you know, creating your marketing and, and, you know, even brand, obviously there's a lot of validation that goes into developing a brand. Um, how has that influenced the way you approach marketing? Um, I wouldn't say that that has directly influenced us as much as the fact that we are very much an engineering-driven company. Mm-hmm. So we definitely test and, and you know trial and A-B things, as, as you would expect. Those are things that are a little newer to the marketing world, but a lot of that stuff is obviously you know out of the engineering space forever. So I think the kind of trial and error that, that we do in marketing really comes from from that mindset. Um, I'm still a very active member of that. I consider myself an honorary member of two teams, basically, marketing and um, engineering. So I do my best to try to bind those and get as much cohesion as I possibly can out of them. 
Um, I wouldn't say we, we really think of our testing in the same sense in, in how we market, but we are very, very close to our customers because of the other side. And we're an enterprise company, so we have pretty deep relationships with most of our customers. So we're constantly um, building on, on the knowledge we get from them and trying to figure out how we use it to market and, and whatnot. Yeah. And, and you mentioned uh, that, what was the line that you're the coolest company no one's ever heard of, yeah. which is, which is a, a kind of a cool compliment. And ba- I mean, backhanded you, compliment. Yeah. 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 And, and, but that gives you kind of an idea of like, okay, maybe awareness is something we focus on. I, I, oh, absolutely. I mean, if you were to walk into my office right now, I have a, a huge whiteboard wall and the big words written on the top are just get the word out. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, we raised capital um, for the second time this year and I did that with four sort of pillars of investment that we're looking at. The first is marketing. Um, far and away, the thing that, that we need to be spending energy and, and money on is, is marketing. So we're looking yeah. at every avenue possible. Um, the second is um, sales. And you know, one of our interesting challenges is that we have a very transactional sales process, which is driven by inbound marketing. So this is actually an interesting sort of fallout of, of the way inbound works is our sales team get leads from inbound primarily. And we go track down those leads and, and we close that deal, but but then they get more leads. And the reality is by, by transactional, I mean, we sort of focus on that lead right in front of us, but we don't do a lot to spread within those companies. So we haven't fully penetrated mm-hmm. um, a lot of our customer base. So we work with Google and we work with numerous groups at Google, but Google has hundreds of groups, yeah. right? So we haven't nearly penetrated it. So when I talk about get the word out as sort of a marketing initiative, it's also a sales initiative, but within our existing customer base. So one of our big ambitions is to go develop strategies and, and create bandwidth to go and capture more within the existing customers. And that in itself is a marketing exercise, right? That's where account-based marketing comes. That's where mm-hmm. sort of you know internal customer marketing comes. So, so we're looking at all those strategies for how we do that. Um, the third channel we're looking at is partnerships, how we go and find other companies to deliver what we do, basically. So today, um, we are both a software and a service company, meaning we provide a platform. We also provide a managed service. But ultimately, our growth ambitions are more on the software side. We really want to be the sort of platform holder within this space. And then we want to work with other companies to go and deliver these. So we're actually trying to enable other companies to not only exist if they, you know, somebody could come up from scratch and do just this, or um, we're looking to companies who have adjacent offerings who would want to do this to extend their offering. So um, companies in the the design space, company or product design space, companies in, in various forms of consulting um, could basically offer customer validation. So we're working with those and we now have a partner team for that. And then the fourth one is something we've never really done, which is expand internationally. So we have a lot of customers internationally, but we don't have any footprint internationally. So mm-hmm. this year we're looking to opening an office in Europe and then South America would follow that um, to get some boots on the ground for sales support and so on in those. So those four things um, all follow that mantra of get the word out, um, starting with with marketing, moving on to sales, partnerships, and um, international. So, so that's all the the big investments all surround those four things for me. And I'm curious, what has been? You may have, I think you may have alluded to it earlier with you know obviously a lot of what you do being under NDA. But I'm curious, what is one of the biggest challenges for you in your space? Um, in getting that word out, in, in building that awareness? What has been one of the biggest things that has made you the coolest company no one's ever heard of? So when we think about our industry and we think of how things have changed, um, there, there's a, a few slides that we show everyone that really sort of trigger an aha moment. And basically it's sort of about the sea change of, of product development in the last 10 or 15 years. So back when we started this, um, most product development was developed through what they call a waterfall methodology. 
And the ultra summarized version of it is that's a lot of work and then you put a product out and then it's a lot of work and you put a product out. And as a part of that, a lot of work part toward the end of it, you would run a beta test. So for six or eight weeks, you would run a beta and then you would release that product and you would start on the next one. So what that created was a gap in customer testing. So there'd be a year or two for an individual product team where they weren't really engaging with customers on a pre-release product because something big needed to be built before mm-hmm. they could do that. Um, so that created two problems. One, there's a gap in, in the actual customer testing. Two, because of that gap, there wasn't really people dedicated to this cause. This actually goes back to why Ericsson didn't have the resources, and it's still a case today. Um, or I don't know about Ericsson, but it, it's, a, it's a case that many companies don't have the dedicated resources. And the reason being, because of that sort of perceived gap, you can't employ full-time people. So what that meant is it got handed mostly to product managers. So more mm-hmm. than half of product managers would run their own beta tests. And the problem with that is they would do it and then they would go work on the next product. And by the time they would need to run another beta test, they would forget everything they learned that first time. So you kind of got this cycle of the necessary evil based on that. Well, what's changed is is the way that products have been built are now they're they're developed in an agile methodology, which means we're constantly iterating on them. So when we talk about the the real change, there's a number of important changes that have happened in tech. One, products have gotten dramatically more sophisticated, right? You look at your thermostat from a decade or two decades ago versus today, it's a whole different thing. For sure. Right? Two products. It's a, it's a computer in its own. It is, yeah. absolutely. And you know, as is your car and and you know, so many other things, your window blinds. Um, so, so that's number one is products have gotten more sophisticated. Number two is products have gotten more interconnected. Again, thermostat used to do thermostat things for a decade or two before it crapped out. Now it talks to your phone, it talks to Alexa, it talks to servers and, and all of those things are typically, or most of those things are typically outside the control of the person who's developing the company who's developing that product. Um, the, the third one is that, as I said, products have become iterative. So, more sophisticated, interconnected, and always changing. And in part, they're always changing because they're so complicated, they left bugs in, and because they're so interconnected and those products are changing, it's this constantly moving ecosystem. So you can't develop a product in that same capacity anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, You need to shift your mindset over to an agile engagement with your customers. So continuous customer uh, engagement in your development process is something that many companies haven't really caught up to yet. So they're sort of, most everyone is now developing in an agile methodology. That is incredibly common. Um, but most haven't moved on to this idea of, okay, how do I continue to engage customers and, and test? And that's why we sort of coined this concept of delta testing um, as testing the difference between any two releases moving forward and keeping it in a continuous fashion so you always have that feedback coming in. And that's a new idea. It, it's something that really hasn't um, become mainstream in development yet with the exception of the companies that we've dealt with, which is hundreds of you know big companies, but there's tens of thousands of big companies yeah. out there that they really haven't caught on yet. Um, the other big change, of course, is that many companies are becoming tech companies that weren't tech companies before. So there's a lot of companies that, that we have the pleasure of working with that you wouldn't have necessarily thought of as tech companies you know, a decade ago, the Fords and Procter and & Gambles and, and so on of the world um, are amazing companies, but they weren't traditionally digital companies. And now that everyone's going through this digital transformation, they're being um, sort of uh, introduced very rapidly to all the challenges that, that I just explained. Yeah. So again, more complex, interconnected, always changing. The fourth trait that's maybe the most challenging of all is that 
While the products have gotten more sophisticated, the audiences for those products have actually gotten less sophisticated. And by that, I mean they've gotten more mainstream. Mm -hmm. Used to be sort of techie people using techie products. Now everyone's using techie products. And the difference between mainstream and techie people in regards to techie products is patience. So, you know, when I was young, I would put up with products, you know, being exciting but broken. And the reality is, you know, beyond how competitive this space is well, the modern audience just doesn't have that level of patience anymore. So they want to see a product work. And the reality is if you introduce a new product to an existing ecosystem, so you bring that thermostat into your home, it doesn't matter if it doesn't work because your Wi-Fi is broken. The Wi-Fi was already there. If you bring that thing in and it doesn't work, then you blame that product every oh, time. Oh, for sure. So, so those are some interesting challenges that companies are kind of stuck dealing with that we're kind of bringing them into this modern context and helping them understand how they can develop leverage in their audience who has access to all of those variables that they don't. Yeah, I've noticed that. And I mean, that's that's just an uphill battle for product development. I mean, yeah. even just, you know, in our space, I'll, I'll hear a lot of stuff around the industry where it's like, you know, downplaying a certain tool or a certain, you know, camera or something like that. And then when you finally dig into it, it's, it's, you realize it has nothing to do with the camera. It has to do with, you know, how it's being used or, or what's so, so I mean, obviously the, that's where the education comes in, right? And being able to make sure it works right out of the box for what it's intended for the end user. Yeah. Um, and, and speaking of that, something that I thought would be interesting to kind of get your perspective on, especially, you know, we had, uh, we had an episode a while back where we had, um, we were talking about product launches and really doing that validation and that testing before you even launch the product. Sure. And, you know, we've heard over and over about how, you know, marketing should start well before the product is launched sure. and marketing can even inform the actual you know product development okay. and i think that's kind of similar with what you're saying right i mean with that beta testing yeah. i'm sure there's some element in there so how how do you see marketing playing that role in the actual product development yeah absolutely so we don't we don't think of the product as just the the physical or, or digital sort of self um, we think of it as everything that surrounds it right so You've seen in the last decade the move from user experience to customer experience was really that realization um, that the entire customer experience is important and a lot of the customer experience is relative to marketing, right? So for us, what we would generally encourage is that marketing has a voice in this process like anybody else. One of the blessings and curses of our space is sort of the jack-of-all-trades nature of how much it brings to the table. It brings the the issues that need to be solved. It mean brings in sort of the ideas and, and improvements that could bring the product up. And then it also brings the praise and the delight. And marketing needs to be leveraging and influencing what those praises and delights are. So they need to help understand how to shape the product to get those, but then also understand that real reaction once it's built so they can go out and, and leverage that, capitalize on it um, to get the right message to the right people for what they're actually going to like about the product. So it's a big part of this this space. So have you seen then, and I mean, it sounds like this is what is already happening internally with Center Code, but have you seen a shift in terms of bringing product and marketing teams together much more in terms of working with your clients as well? I, I think given the natural complexity of, of digital products, yes, absolutely. I think marketing teams are needing to get a lot more savvy because the products are getting much more sophisticated. So um, the closer they get to the engineering folks that are building it, the better off they are. Absolutely. 
Yeah, definitely. And, and so with you sitting from your perspective, you know, as CEO, how involved are you in terms of, you know, you obviously have a powerful marketing team, but it sounds like you love to still be as heavily involved in marketing as you can. Where do you see your role in that marketing stack? Um, I, I spend more time there than I have, unfortunately. And, and it's mostly, to be honest, because I enjoy it. <laughs> I happen to really like my marketing team a lot. I mean, I like all my teams, but but we have a big marketing team, and and I really get along well with those people. Um, in particular, the the product side of marketing because we merge them together is is very important to me. So I've got a couple of people on that team that I engage with daily, in you know brainstorming sessions and whatnot. So. Um, I like to come at it from that perspective. I don't write nearly as much as I used to. I'm, I'm very much not the individual contributor on the day-to-day. Um, but uh, I influence the the direction and the strategy a lot. I thankfully just have a fantastic team of, of smart people who can do most of it. Um, I would say probably a quarter of my time at this point goes into the marketing side of the business, which is down. Um, you know, I ran marketing for, you know, off and on for, for a couple of years. So... Um, for me, spending a quarter of my time on anything is a pretty significant ask at this point just because I'm so spread out. But it's it's one of the areas I have the most fun with. So I, I do and deliberately invest more time there, I guess. Yeah, it's kind of hard once you're head is in the marketing world it's kind of hard to, to I, even let some of that go yeah i mean there's there's two sides to it like the stuff that i'm spending a good amount of time on right now is sort of the the broad messaging and really understanding who our audience is and and so on um things like this are obviously you know from from my market or inspired by my marketing team but if our real goal is to grow a category then i need to be spending even more of my time there you know i i think of marketing and sales as Sales is pretty much one-to-one. Marketing is, is one-to-many. And on the sales side, if I spend time with a big customer, let's you know say there's a whale, um, then I have, you know, that time is, is whatever opportunity that customer represents, which can be big, but, but it's, it's limited to that. On marketing, I think my sort of the opportunity cost, my time investment is, is exponential, right? Mm-hmm. If my marketing team does a good job with whatever message we're working on and I'm influencing, then it can get out to thousands and thousands of people and pr- create a lot more deals. So I'm definitely more interested, you know, I also have a great sales team and, and I'm very happy with them as well. But um, again, I see the, the time investment in marketing going so much further given where we are in the context of our space. So I will not turn down, you know, basically any opportunity that they bring to me, um, you know, even if it if it results in, in 18 hour days, um, because I do see it as being that valuable. Yeah. And I think obviously, you know, building on successes is, is critical. So when you have your marketing team and they're, you know, you're starting to see those results, obviously, that's something that feeds into your decision making and being able to make sure that, yeah. you know, I mean, one of the great things about marketing too is is they're they're very metrics driven. So seeing results is relatively easy. Um, you know, sales and marketing are the two teams that can really live on numbers. Engineering and whatnot is a little more difficult. Um, but uh, I mean, all teams to some degree can live on numbers. But those two are the numbers that kind of drive us. And again, if you go back to what my sort of get the word out initiative is within the company and kind of those ambitions, um, marketing is the the clearest way to make it happen and, and the most obvious way to see it. Everything else is is building on those investments. And something I always like to ask, and, and I'm definitely curious from you in, in this whole journey, obviously from technology to kind of being the CEO and then also heading up the marketing side and now having this in-house agency. Um, I think there's obviously a lot of trial and error that goes into all of that. Um, 
Is there anything for you that stands out as far as, you know, maybe uh, uh, something that's being pushed in the marketing industry that you think the industry is getting wrong or something that maybe you thought you had a, a, a prediction going into it and then you were surprised, like, you know, maybe a contrarian belief of sorts where, you know, marketing has given you a, a bit of a surprise? Um, I... That's a great question. I don't know if there's anything I would say they got wrong. I know what we're not good at. Um, and, and one of them, I'll give a shout to you guys, is, is we're terrible at video. <laughs> um, it's part, part of how this conversation started is, is it something that we've thought about a lot, but we've, you know, made amateur attempts at and failed miserably. Um, and, and that one has been one that I, I believe there's an enormous opportunity in video marketing, but I haven't seen it myself because we haven't invested heavily enough in it. So that's one that I haven't proven or disproven yet. It's just a theory that it's going to, it's going to work out eventually if we keep investing and, and do it differently than we've done it in the past. Cause again, very amateur approach with just internal resources who had no knowledge of what they were doing, mm-hmm. um, knowingly, like that's not disparaging anyone. Um, the one that I'm most interested in right now that is just all the buzz is, of course, uh, the account-based marketing stuff is, is really, really big in B2B. We're starting to explore that. We're experimenting there. Um, had a great conversation a couple weeks ago with one of the leaders at DemandBase, who's a big player in that space, and I learned some really cool things there. So I'm very fascinated by that space. Um, I can't think of anything off the top of my head that I've been personally involved in that I thought just, you know, backfired in some reasonable way. I, I would say that inbound was the thing I fell in love with. Um, events are a thing I'm very, very interested in, but I think that's a changing space. I, I think that just trade shows in the old way don't really work in the same capacity. So, you know, we did host a conference uh, a year ago, which was a big success for us. We were very happy with it. We're doing a virtual conference this year. Okay. Um, and, and again, that's sort of a reflection of, of what our industry is, is being that we're young, we could get a lot of customers to travel. We had an incredible event, but we really want to get the word out to a lot more companies. And this is really too young to get the justification for them to come to California, which to be fair, feels like a boondoggle if you live anywhere but California. It feels like you're just <laughs> coming here for the weather. Um, so now we're trying a virtual version of that conference, and I've attended a number of those, trying to get a sense of, of the, the ground there. And it, it's, it, it's an interesting thing. I, I think that's going to go well for us. But I, I can't. I, I wish I had a better answer for you for something. And I, other than social media, which again still hasn't really been a big thing for us, I think that's yeah. still very successful in the consumer space. Um, you know, we're not hiring influencers on Instagram. I can tell you that one doesn't really apply to me very well. Um, but that's also just a theory because we've never done it. So yeah. hell, maybe. And that's a whole another uh, conversation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not not my space. We have a board member who's who's got a company in that space, so it's fascinating. I learn a lot about it. He's an amazing guy, but. Um, I, I have no, you know, I don't have an Instagram account. So, yeah. Um, so well, I mean, it sounds like, uh, you know, just boiling this whole conversation down. I mean, it sounds like your big approach has, has been education, content yes, marketing, whether absolutely. it's, whether it's through, you know, online or even yeah. these events in person, uh, that very, education. very genuine education and completely fighting your instincts to have any kind of secret sauce like that. That's. You know, if, if you leave out the linchpin to succeed, then people aren't going to succeed. They're not going to respect you. And, and therefore, right. that we, we don't do that. So, you know, we don't we don't subscribe to, to having any sort of secret sauce that would inhibit people. We feel that, you know, the sort of, you know, rising tides raises all boats thing is, is very true. And, and we want to really help build um, and evangelize the, this industry around this problem. And the goal, and it's, it's frankly why I've been so engaged in this company for so long, why I can still be so passionate about it, is because at the end of the day, we, we know we're doing a good thing, right? We know that 
We're helping companies build a product that people enjoy more. Therefore, the people get technology that works, which is a much harder you know, thing than it sounds. The companies, of course, then benefit from those happy customers selling more, and, and everybody sort of wins. Yeah. So, so for us, that sort of positive nature of, of this nascent industry is, is such a cool opportunity to be part of, and it's something that we all feel and touch every day. I mean, I have you know dozens of products in my house that you know, or we all do, frankly, that, that we touched in some way, and that's just a super meaningful, fun thing, and that helps you know sort of build the culture of the company. It just it makes it a really fun environment overall. So yeah. It's a, it's a cool thing. Well, I love that. And I think I would definitely encourage anyone listening to this to go check out center code because, you know, content marketing is this big topic in marketing that, you know, it's not like it's a new thing that we're talking about here. And, and education obviously is, is, is such a critical thing now, but I feel like content marketing is one of the best tools that's rarely properly used because it's such a commitment and it's such a long-term thing. And it really is, like you said, about not having that secret sauce, but, you know, really just being as helpful as you can. And I feel like that's it's not as easy as just write some blog posts and you're no. going to start getting, you know, clients. And so I feel like I would really encourage people to check out Center Code because obviously what you're doing is working and it's great to see those case Thank studies you. of content marketing that's actually driving results. Yeah, I, I will say, though, one of the nice things about content marketing is it, it's also not a big spend. You know, when you're when you're small and, and you don't have the budgets, you know, especially when you're an entrepreneur, entrepreneur, you do have 24 hours, like, and you only have to sleep a few of them when you're, you know, young and ambitious. So the nice thing about content marketing is we didn't have to, there's no barrier to entry, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's, if you have the knowledge you can write and if you can write and do a little bit of research, you can start to get it out there and it can start to build on itself. So I fell in love with it for those reasons, because when I started this, I didn't have a budget. I was starting from nothing in marketing. And and now we do put significant money and more hires and yada yada and it's it's become a really big and you know, big investment for us, but it didn't start that way and and the, but the way it started did pave the path for everything else. So it is it is a good opportunity that doesn't require a major buy in. It just does require a commitment and a mindset. Well, great, uh, Luke. I appreciate you doing this. This was an awesome conversation. I had a great time, man. It was cool. good. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks so much for checking out this episode. I hope you liked it. I hope you got a lot out of it. If so, it would mean the world to me if you could jump over to Apple Podcasts and leave an honest rating and review for the show. That helps us get this out to more marketing leaders like yourself.